1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 28 reads, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold on to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of them still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so they proclaim, and so you have believed. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For, it is the dead are not, for if the dead is not raised, and not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, and so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject, it's subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. I'll now invite Pastor Young to deliver God's word today. Well, good morning, everyone. I really like uh, Michelle's questions to start us off because um, the qualifier comes after. Uh, she asked the question, what's the most embarrassing thing ever in your entire existence, usually? Uh, it's has me searching back uh, through the memory banks. 
Uh, we had a good talk over in, in the corner there about how how I split my pants once, you know, doing uh, during dodgeball. I was in year one, so this was a long time ago. Uh, doing a victory dance after what I thought was a really good move, and then after that, the rest of the day was not fun. But my name is Young, uh, pastor here at New Life. I won't be doing any victory dance, uh, just in case. Uh, we're coming back from Good Friday and Easter, you know, which is uh, actually just the greatest victory uh, that we could have. Uh, we had the conclusion of our So That You May Live series. Uh, we took a look at what the Lord Jesus did, culminating with his rising from the dead. And then we made that statement that his resurrection is the key to our faith. We talked about this last week. Today, we're returning to our final part of our series uh, called United as One. And since last August, we've been on a bit of a journey through 1 Corinthians. Uh, along the way, we've seen how uh, Paul emphasizes, he stresses Jesus' resurrection. Uh, he talks about Jesus' crucifixion before going to matters that continue to come up in the Corinthian church and taking care of those. So today we're entering into the conclusion of this letter, and Paul is going to be bringing the Corinthians together, uh, one in resurrection. And so we'll talk about this. But before we get there, how about I pray for us, and then we'll get into the sermon. Father, we come to you, uh, we gather together as the body, one in Christ, a week after Easter, a week after the great victory that took place, a week after the death of your son and the resurrection that we get to witness. We got to see on Good Friday, your son placed upon the cross, lowered, taken down, dead, and placed in the tomb. And then on the third day, we got to witness his rising, the victory that has given us everlasting life. And now when we look upon the symbol of torture and of death, when we look upon the cross, we see life. We thank you, Lord, that you have changed us that you've lifted us from the grave, that you gave your son, our sorrowful king who walked this earth, unknown by his subjects, reviled and hated, and yet in his humility as king, he took the cross upon his shoulders, he took our sins, and now we live because of what he's done. We want to live this resurrection life. We want, Lord, to take everything from today and live it out for the rest of our lives. Not just week by week, not just in moments, but we want to live out our identity in you. We pray, Lord, that in order for this to happen, you would illuminate your word to us, that you would change us by the power of your word by the love that's in your character. Help us, Lord, to see who you are, and may that be enough to change us from here on out. We pray that we might love you the way that you deserve. We pray that we might glorify you through everything that we do today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
1919, a theologian named Karl Barth, he wrote a letter to another theologian uh, named Edward Thurneson, saying, yesterday and today, I sat over 1 Corinthians 15, but I came to a dead stop in the earliest stages as I started to work through it thoroughly. The chapter is a key to the entire letter with its profound disclosures on this and that, which have their source in ultimate wisdom. Some of them have struck us recently like shocks from an electric eel. And this is what Bart had to say. Now, if you've ever felt uncertain throughout Paul's letter to the Corinthians, you know, if you've been with us since last August and you've actually heard through some of the teaching and some of the sermons, um, if you've ever felt confusion about our future as Christians as well, with the tension between the promised resurrection that's still to come and the experience of what we face day to day when we see the sufferings of this world, when we live through the sufferings of this world, if you've ever wondered about whether or not today this life matters, then these last four weeks of our First Corinthians series will hopefully clear this up for you and will hopefully help your heart to find rest in Him. Because this ending to First Corinthians, it provides a perfect connection point for us between the Easter series that we just finished and the entire First Corinthians series and also our lives that we live. Our Savior has already died. He's risen. And we saw this in our Easter series, and we talk about this each week as well. Week in, week out, throughout our sermons, throughout everything that we sing about, we talk about this, but not only this, the resurrection of the dead has already begun with Him as well. Now, we have in Jesus the promise of our future resurrection, and it's established by the realization of Jesus' own resurrection. But what do you think about your future resurrection? What do you think about the resurrection of the dead? Like when we talk about this in church, when we read about this in, in the Bible, what is it that you actually think about when you think about the resurrection of the dead? The other day, a friend of mine, um, he's not a Christian, but he was just kind of joking around with me that when everything comes to an end, I don't know why he was thinking about such a morbid topic, but he said when everything comes to an end, he was joking, saying that he's going to hang on to my legs, that I'm his insurance policy, as I get raptured into heaven. As I float away, he's just going to hold on for dear life. And this was his idea. But where on earth did he get this idea? This picture of how things are going to come to an end. Do some of us believe that this is how things are going to end as well? That we're just going to leave this earth behind. We're going to float away. Because this is something that's more influenced by culture than by the logic of Scripture. How would he feel? How would my friend feel if I told him that the end is not going to come with our souls floating away from this earth, but that the dead will rise and there's a place for our bodies after this life ends? He might be a little creeped out. And he might be a little bit freaked out by this. But how do you feel about this? How do you feel about such a picture? Because some in this world think that the dead just cease to exist, that our consciences just blink out our consciousness. Some believe in reincarnation. A lot of my friends do as well. They believe in reincarnation, but few believe in resurrection. Some of us here haven't given thought to resurrection beyond Jesus' own resurrection, so it's not really real to us. Those of us who have thought about resurrection, we think about it purely in a spiritual sense. But the reality of what's to come and our resurrection from the dead must be informed by the Bible. 
we have to know what the Bible says about our resurrection. Now, we talked about this two years ago, April 2021, in a sermon titled, Tired of Moving. You know, we talked about this uh, fairly briefly, I think, that the new heavens and the new earth will be here. It's taking place here on earth. The new Jerusalem is established for us to live in physically. We're going to be there. In our passage this morning as well, it's established that Jesus Christ is king. And as king, he decrees life eternal and the end of death. But it also tells us that not everything has been put under complete submission to him yet. This is the tension that we see. We know this naturally even by maybe looking at our own lack of faith or at those around us. Our God is deserving of all the honor, all of the glory, which should be rightfully his. And yet in unbelief, we deny him this right, unknowingly choosing death instead of life. Now, this is clearly the opposite of what we're created for. Uh, For Christians, we're on the path to true humanity. You know, we're, we're humans now, but we're not quite there yet. We're not truly living out our humanity. We seek to worship in truth, which means a complete resurrection for us, mind, body, and soul, that we might be transformed into God's renewed humanity. Read with me uh, the opening two verses. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Paul talks about this by clearly laying out the gospel for the Corinthians in this last part of the letter. He tells them just how essential the gospel is and how essential the resurrection is, and he breaks it down into four parts. He breaks down their reception of the gospel into four parts, okay? So number one, he talks about how he preached the gospel to them. Number two, the Corinthians receive the gospel. It's not enough for someone to just preach the gospel, You have to receive the gospel. Number three, they take their stand on the gospel. And number four, they're being saved by the gospel. So why do we continue to preach the gospel of grace every Sunday? Why do we continue to encourage one another and ourselves with the gospel every single moment of our lives? Because it should affect the way that we live, the way that we think. Unless it does, it hasn't taken root. Unless it does, we're not taking our stand on the gospel. Unless it does, we're not actually being saved by the gospel and living it out. Now, we talked on Easter Sunday about how we testify about Jesus' resurrection. We testify about it, but it will be empty words if it's not accompanied by a life change, by changes in our behavior, by changes in the way that we live. And this change in behavior is what we see along with the Corinthians. We should hold to the message that was preached to us unless we believed in vain. In other words, without persevering in the gospel, what claim do we have to the gospel's promise? Unless we get there at the end of our time, what claim do we have? Surely you must agree as well. Those who confess Christ should remain faithful to their confession. But not everyone ends up being faithful. Okay, now you might be wondering, how does all of this link together? 
everything that we just talked about. It might seem like a whole mishmash of different ideas, or maybe it just feels very hard to figure out. But what our passage this morning tells us is that the resurrection of the dead is central to the gospel of grace. You can't have one without the other. You must have the resurrection of the dead or else you don't have a gospel of grace. This gives meaning to our lives. The way that we live our lives in service to King Jesus comes from this. It's only because we trust in faith that we will be resurrected that we have a foundational reason to persevere in our faith in Christ. Otherwise, why bother? And this gives us hope because if we're to be resurrected, it demonstrates to us that God stands by his creation. This creation of us, you and me, of this earth that we live on. His promise is sure that he's gonna redeem and transform his creation. These days, uh, we have all sorts of things that are not built to last. You know, I'm sure you see it. Things are a little bit cheaper you know, when we talk, think about things like fast fashion, electronics that the manufacturer expects that you'll be done with in a couple of years, so you're just gonna upgrade. But how do you feel if the manufacturer tells you that they stand by their product? That they're gonna, they're gonna honor that product until the end of its life? How do you feel when they say that it's gonna be supported and upgraded for years to come? You're not just gonna get rid of it. There's reassurance because there's more value in whatever it is that you have because you know that the creator believes in and cares about their creation. If God was to say, man, forget this world, and say that his plan is just to take us out of this world, then what would be the point? We probably lose faith in this creation as well. And some people believe this, and so they don't treat this world very well, but this isn't the case. What would be the point of life here on earth if God's purpose was to just tear us away from it eventually? Logically, it makes no sense. If he is just gonna take us into this cloudy, hazy idea of heaven. If that's all that's gonna happen, why wait? Why not just do it immediately, the moment that we accept Christ? We just get transported. My friend doesn't have the chance to hang on. Why doesn't that just happen? But the resurrection of the dead, it comes out here in this passage. It's more fully fleshed out here in this passage than anywhere else in scripture. And it's clear from our reading of this passage this morning that God's purpose is not and has never been to just take us away from here, to take this disembodied soul of ours away from this earth so that we can just exist in the clouds with them. That's not his purpose. That would indicate to us that creation is more like fast fashion or a single-use plastic straw or whatever you might think of. It's only temporary and not very important. But this is not the case. When we read scripture, we can see this is simply not the case. Where we're gonna end up is just as much a part of God's creative process as how we start. It's why we can say that God knew us from before we were even born. How we know that he numbers our days. He knows where we're headed. He knows where we're gonna go. And that level of context, when it comes to God forming us, when it comes to God creating all of this, it gives meaning and purpose to our lives now because where we are now is still very much a part of God's plan 
and God's creative process. Our lives here on earth are uh, significant in God's eyes, and so our lives here on earth should follow God's design as well. When we think about the way that we live our lives, it should submit in some way to God's design. And this means denying ourselves, turning away from things that go against God's design, and disciplining ourselves towards maturity. We're headed there, towards living by God's design and order, towards becoming truly human. We're knocking on heaven's door with every moment we live here on earth. And your Christianity is not a discrete, compartmentalized thing that takes place exclusively on Sunday mornings. It's not just for here, just at your life groups, or just at FMP. It's all of life. Every single facet of our lives conforms to this, and it will continue on beyond your death and into your resurrection life, onward to eternity. And we might wonder how we do this. How do we live in a way that resembles what we want on Sunday mornings? Because it's so much easier when you just hear the preaching, when you're reading the word on Sundays, when you're with your life groups and they're all encouraging you and saying, yeah, this is how I want to live too. And then you get to Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, or Wednesday especially, you get there and you start struggling to live the way that you want. So how do we actually live this way? Some of us talk about how Monday to Saturday doesn't look very much like Sunday. We talk about how we struggle to meaningfully connect with God outside of the hour and a half that we spend each week at church. Why? We're asking the wrong question here. This way of life is completely dependent on Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. This is what we have to examine, his resurrection from the dead. We can't live all of this out without faith in his resurrection. Look with me at verses 3 to 8. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James than to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. When you read this, what's the right question to ask? Who's the subject of most of these verses? Who's doing the action here when you read through these verses? It's Jesus. He's the one that's providing the action. He's the one that's doing even when it's awkward to attribute the action to him. Like when we say, when we read, he was buried instead of they buried him. Like that's not a natural way of speaking. And the reason for this is, the gospel is primarily a message about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. This is a primary function. It's not primarily a message about us and how we can be saved. This is the wrong mindset to come with. How we can make our lives better or have better worship experiences, or connect meaningfully. It, it's not, this is not the primary function of the gospel. It's Jesus Christ's story. It's his story that gives meaning to our lives, not the other way around. It's not us trying to fit him into our stories, like that gives glory to God. 
that gives meaning to Jesus' life. That's not the case. Pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he put it way better than I did, uh, he says in Life Together, it is not that God's help and presence must still be proved in our life, rather God's presence and help have been demonstrated for us in the life of Jesus Christ. It is in fact more important for us to know what God did to Israel and in God's son Jesus Christ than to discover what God intends for us today. Like, read that, read that line again. It is, in fact, more important for us to know what God did to Israel and in God's Son, Jesus Christ, and to discover what God intends for us today. The fact that Jesus Christ died is more important than the fact that I will die. And the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is the sole ground of my hope that I, too, will be raised on the day of judgment. Our salvation is from outside ourselves, I find salvation not in my life story, but only in the story of Jesus Christ. Only those who allow themselves to be found in Jesus Christ in the incarnation, cross, and resurrection are with God and God with them. Why is the resurrection so crucial to Christians? We should be aware of just what we're celebrating at Easter. What are we talking about when we sing for joy, when we pray, when we preach at Easter? What Jesus did on the cross set something in motion for us. What's going to happen in the end has begun to invade the present. We're not necessarily just waiting for the end. It's already started. It's beginning to invade the present. And so now our testimonies about the risen, risen Jesus It also testifies about the resurrection of humanity in Jesus. In testifying about humanity's resurrection, we also testify about the renewal of all creation in him. This is the gospel. So why is the gospel of grace good news? Because the resurrection of Jesus, apart from the resurrection of humanity with him, would not be a gospel at all because it would only be an announcement of the bad news that we've been abandoned. Why is the gospel of grace good news? Because humanity's resurrection, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, is senseless. It makes no sense. It's dependent on our own goodness and our own good works, which inevitably fall woefully short. It would only be the bad news of our inability with no hope of salvation. Throughout verses 12 to 19, the Apostle Paul, he poses a hypothetical situation of there being no resurrection of the dead and what would would happen? What are some of the consequences of this? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain and so is your faith. Moreover, we're found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ or died have also perished. 
if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. So to summarize, if there's no resurrection of the dead in this hypothetical situation, it would mean that Jesus never rose, which would mean that all the preaching and the faith that we talk about, it would be for nothing. That we, along with the Corinthians, would still be in our sin. That the apostles and all those who have testified about Jesus have given false testimony, including myself. That all Christians who have died are lost forever to death. And we'd be the most pitiful people of all, gathering for no reason. But the gospel of grace is good news because Jesus Christ died for sinners. And his resurrection is a father's acceptance of his sacrifice on our behalf. When we were as good as dead due to our sins, with no hope of salvation because of our inability, we who have died with Jesus are also resurrected with Jesus. Which means that the opposite of verses 12 to 19 is true. There is a resurrection from the dead because Christ has been raised. Our preaching and your faith are significant and important. We are true witnesses about God and have testified correctly. We're no longer in our sins, but are forgiven completely. We're not lost to death, but saved from it. These are all the opposites of what he's talking about in 12 to 19. We do not have hope for this life only, but have hope in the eternal life that begins with our resurrection from the dead. And all of this means that Christians are the most fortunate and we're in the most desirable position of all. Our passage today ends with Paul talking about Jesus being the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Read with me verses 20 to 23. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruit, and afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now, in our context, you might not know what the idea of first fruits is. We don't really talk about first fruits much anymore, but the idea comes from the Old Testament. Basically, the first portion of something like crops or livestock were offered in thanksgiving to God. It's a foretaste or a promise of what's to come at the full harvest. So it's a pledge to a king, letting them know that this is just the beginning. Because you've given me this land, here's a pledge of what's to come from this land, that kind of thing. And we know the promise of what we have of the resurrection, because Jesus being raised from the dead is the first fruits of what's to come for us. When we look at Jesus' resurrection, we see us. This is what we place our hope and our faith in. This hope is what affects a change in the way that we live our lives here on earth. Next week, we'll go into a deeper look at the resurrection of the dead. For this week, consider what this means to you. Consider what the resurrection of Jesus means to you. Let me pray for us.